just open us in prayer and then we'll, we'll go through. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Thank you for uh, the love that you have for us. <clears throat> thank you for gathering us together um, under this roof to learn more about you, <clears throat> to approach you in worship in the hour to come, um, to gather here to study and consider how we can devote our lives uh, into greater service to you, our Lord. Help us, give us wisdom, and give us desire that we might um, serve you better, with more <clears throat> purity of heart, with more um, wisdom, knowledge, um, proficiency, all those things. We want uh, to be fruitful, not into our own end, but uh, for your name's sake. And we want to <coughs> seek your kingdom <clears throat> in what we do and trust you to provide all that we need as you've commanded. So be with us now. Uh, help us as we learn together. In Christ's name, amen. amen. <clears throat> All right. Um, we're moving on, like we mentioned last week, from sort of the first three sessions, uh, which were more of a philosophy of calling, the context and the concept and the content. <clears throat> and today we're going to start our first of four um, sort of application-focused lessons. How do we apply the things that we've learned and the things that we know about calling into these different areas or spheres of life? And the first one that we're going to look at today is in our work. <coughs> this is a unique category because work could mean, as I guess we'll get to, both um, the activities and the labor that we do in general, as well as the particular vocation or occupation or thing you get paid for. Um, and so we're going to look at it maybe in, in, in both, both angles, but <clears throat> in one sense, how we work is going to be seen in uh, our calling in our homes, because we work in our homes, and our calling in the church, because we work in the church, and our calling in the society at large, because we work in this uh, world that God placed us. So, so that's our, our hope for today. And, and the way to, that I'm going to go about it is um, I've got this little five-part framework that I know I annoy the guys on session with um, because I, <clears throat> when we're coming up on a decision, these are the things um, that at least I have to work out in my head um, in order to make sense of what I'm doing, what's right, what's wrong. And so it's a, a bit of an ethics cheat sheet. Um, and, and so that's what we're going to look at in this sphere and in the three that follow. Uh, but you're, you can use it in all different ways. So. <clears throat> Um, just before we get started, I did want to, and this is preaching to the choir, so um, it's not really for you guys, but for your friends, um, for your kids, whatever, spouses, um, folks that you see around. We've been talking about calling, and I couldn't help but think about the ways that God, we said that God loves his people through his people. Um, and, and God's not an accidental God, he's an intentional God. <clears throat> so there's a verse in Ephesians 4 um, that I just, I thought this, maybe this is a motivator in, in your studies here in this class in worship and, and all the other classes uh, downstairs with Craig and Norm or um, Jack and Adam and every other, you know, your Bible studies that you go to, um, all those things. There's just an encouragement in, in some of what, what we're doing in this. <clears throat> in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, Paul writes, uh, Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church. Gifts. 
uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then uh, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of this body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. And it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is this is a desire of all of our hearts. I know that we would be. um, An integral part of the body of Christ for the joy set before him, he endured the cross to to call us out of darkness and into light, to make us, once you were not a people, now you are a people. Um, And he loves you, um, obviously so much to die for you and for me, but he he also loves you so much that in his all authority and in his all of wisdom and knowledge, right, Colossians 2, 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are stored up in him and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So what does he do? He gives you gifts. And uh, it's super awkward for me to say it here, but he gives you gifts, the apostles. Um, that would be for us, the scriptures. Uh, the prophets, same. <clears throat> the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers, those are some of the uh, offices that abide. Um, there aren't any apostles today, contrary to what you might see on 285, you know, going around Atlanta. Um, You'll find those in the Word. But, um, but I do want you to know that you know, while there's nothing special about um, me or Tim or Adam or Sam or you know, any of your other elders or officers, um, and that's not false humility, that's legit. <laughs> um, we're all going to die and not be remembered. But, but take this charge for what it is, um, a desire to see us all grow together for the sake of Christ. So I, I hope that I mean, I know you guys don't, but I hope that no one comes to a class like this for just the entertainment of it um, or for some punctuated time of sort of mental excitement um, that you don't give it a second thought. But um, I do hope that that in the worship service and the preaching, when you're taking your notes and and in your Bible studies, when you're um, um, thinking together as iron sharpening iron, that um, that you that you take those those things that you learn from the word. Um, as gifts from from Christ, your Savior and your Redeemer. He is utterly special, and he is of ultimate value. And he puts great significance and worth and interest into his bride, into each one of you. And he loves you all and me so much that he lived, bled, and died for us. And in his love for you and me, he raised up teachers to give you, uh, specifically to you, a very special and important word from him. It's a vital word that's necessary for your good and his glory to be manifest in our lives and in this world. And to the degree that any of your pastors are being faithful to him and to his word, then what's shared with you in every class or every worship service is actually vital for you. Christ doesn't make mistakes. He's not accident, you know, he's not haphazard. Um, It's for your benefit to equip you to do his good work and to build up the body of Christ. So, 
Um, so anyway, you know, no one goes into an armory and grabs a weapon and then throws it on the couch. But they, they take it up and they practice with it so they can be proficient. Because the time will come when you'll need it. I don't know when. Maybe as soon as you walk out the door. Or maybe three years from now. Whatever. I don't know. Um, but um, don't, don't put a lot of stock necessarily in, in the man who's sharing the words. But put all of your stock in the words to the degree that they're faithful to his word. And know that that they're given to you, not from the people around you, but from Christ, because God loves his people through his people. And so I just encourage you, um, I, I know it's, it sounds you know, it's like you guys are doing this, I encourage you to take seriously what, um, what God gives you through the gathered body and what God gives you through the preached word and, and, the, and the visible word and the sacraments, and, um, because it's, it's, uh, it's going to benefit you, and it'll benefit person sitting next to you and 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 the whole world frankly um to the degree that we're faithful to it so and that's that's includes me so anyway there's just a little a little charge and an encouragement maybe to you know um encourage your friends who who you don't see uh here but you do see there or you don't see on sunday night but you do see on you know the big show on sunday morning all those things um <clears throat> let them know that they're they're missing out um on something that Christ wanted them to have. So, All right, um, so today we're going to talk about calling lived out. In the first place, we're going to look at it in our work. <clears throat> um, I mentioned, let's see here, all right. I mentioned that the, this framework that I want us to walk through is kind of like a personal ethics checklist. You know, uh, we've talked about worldview here in the past. Um, a couple years ago, a little short class on it. A little bit last year on the that creational worldview, a worldview is um, general. And you can think of it in, in terms of three parts. There's um, metaphysics. You know what what's the nature of reality? Um, then there's epistemology. How do we know that? How do we know what we know? And then there's the, sort of the third leg of the table is ethics. Um, what ought we do and what ought we not do? What's right and what's wrong? And everybody has a worldview, whether you've codified it or delineated it or whether you recognize that you have it. Um, everybody has these presuppositional perspectives on <clears throat> what's the nature of reality? You know, where do we come from? Are we just matter in motion? Are we you know, from the dirt? Um, are we just animals who happen to stand up and walk around a little bit and put on clothes, or, or, or are we something different? Is our nature different? Um, how do we know what we know? Where do you find truth? Is there such a thing as truth? Can you know it? Um, what, how do you know it? Is it from your senses? Um, are those always accurate? Is it the same for you as it is for me? <clears throat> and, then, and, then, and then ethics. And that's generally where we see the rubber meet the road. So, um, you know, the laws that are brought about in the land, the decisions that you make, is this right, is this wrong, what should I do, what should I not do? And in calling, um, all, while all are important, and we've actually spent a little time on, on, on the first two, we know that you know, calling is from the Lord. He makes himself clear. We, we know what we're called to do through his word, primarily. Um, and, um, but now we want to know how do we live in the world? What's right and what's wrong? What ought we to do? 
And so this is this checklist for, for that leg of the worldview. <clears throat> and you should run through all five of these questions regularly. Um, I think, you know, about any significant, any significant event or task or thing that you're going, you know, decision you're making, the thing you're trying to do. But also, I would say in general, um, we kind of get into, uh, get into a groove and start moving down, downstream and don't always act intentionally. But I think that was one of the questions we kind of posed week one. You know, how intentional do you think people are about the things that they do? Not very was the consensus. You know, 80-20, I think, is what Brian said. And um, that's, that's probably true. You know, we just kind of get moving along. And why, why, am I, why are we doing this, you know? Um, and so it's good to set back and ask questions. <clears throat> sort of do an, an internal audit of your family, of yourself. So, uh, and most of the points that we'll talk about will require primarily you to be self-reflective. Um, but it's also helpful, you know, we're not made to be alone. Uh, we're made for community. God built us in his image and he exists in Trinity. And so it's good to talk through these things with others, certainly with your spouse, you know, um, with your family at large, with your wise friend, your elders, your whatever. Um, think through some of these things out loud. Uh, iron does sharpen iron. God designed us that way and we learn from one another to the degree that we're speaking the truth, founded in the Word, in love, all those things. Um, but today we're going to apply this specifically to, to work in general. All right. Um, so, a few questions to get your minds rolling. We'll kind of come up with a definition of work. What, what is work? What do you guys think? How would you define it? Anybody work? <laughs> it's not a gotcha. You can just we're, we're going to add add layers to this. Effort. Effort. <clears throat> what else? Accomplishing, <clears throat> Accomplishing tasks. I'm sorry, ma'am. Livelihood. Livelihood. Yeah. <clears throat> what else? How would you? What do you, how would you define work? But you know, not all not all physical or mental exertion necessarily is work, right? Because we're called in six days you should labor, you should work, and on the seventh day rest. I don't stop breathing, you know, on the on the seventh seventh day. So I, I do something, but obligation. Okay. Anything else? <clears throat> you might have some work. Responsibility. <clears throat> when and where is it done? Work. When are there times where you don't do it? Are there times where you do? Is there bifurcation there? <clears throat> places you do it, places you don't. These aren't gotchas. These aren't. Where where do you work? In the world, okay. <clears throat> At home. What else? The church. I guess you can say wherever you are. Okay. Wherever you are. Okay. Harper coming in with the roundup. 
That's good. Um, who participates in work? Who's excluded from it? Is anybody? Does everybody work? I'm well, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, and it may change. Yeah, you know, different. You know, 1801 versus 2001. What's the difference in who thinks they are supposed to work? <clears throat> I mean, um, in a sense, you know, infants don't really do a whole lot of work. Um, Casey's grandmother passed away a couple of years ago. She was 103. Um, she had worked a lot, but the volume of it kind of <clears throat> changed over time. Um, are there any notable features of work here under the sun <clears throat> um, that we should have top of mind as we think about work? How do you feel about work? It really tells a lot. Vanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, post fall can be toilsome, certainly painful. Um, I don't know what childbirth was intended to be like, but apparently now it's harder than it once was. Um, I can't really fathom, you know, a world where work is. You know, without the curse of sin, <clears throat> that's all I've ever known. But I'm looking forward to it. It will one day be that way again, right? It was in the garden. It was good. <laughs> yeah, it's daily. That's right. That's a, yes, it can. Or it can be fun. Yeah. Is that how you've stuck around here for so long, Grace? Is it? <laughs> yeah, mindset. That's true. These are good. Um, and we should carry these with us as we're, as we're talking through. So we're going to talk about work. And at the end of the class, I mentioned last time, if we have time to go through sort of this little snapshot of Abraham Kuyper, I'd, I'd like to, but we probably won't. Um, but his sphere sovereignty concept is, is, is useful to us as we're, as we're thinking about work and how it's applied. But we can know what know what that means even as we go through. On the one hand, work can be thought of, like we mentioned, narrowly as our occupations, the tasks you know, for which we work in order to provide an income for our families, for our family provisions. But on the other hand, work can be thought of more broadly as just our labor across all spheres. So not just at your job, <clears throat> you know, where there's one type of authority structure and a range of responsibilities, but at home and in the church and society at large. So, let's see. Um, also, there there's a necessary sort of blurring of the lines um, as we talk about things over today in the next few weeks because part of family life incorporates your job. You know, you take that into account. Um, the occupation of parents has an impact on your family life. Um, similarly, church ought to have a pretty big impact on your family life. Um, but even churches exist in communities where there's interaction with the state. There's, you know, there's overlap. These spheres aren't... Um, siloed against one another, but they, they have impact. And so we need to, we're going to think through them in the individual areas, but, but know that there's overlap. All right. So 
going to belabor this just a little bit longer, work versus job. Um, and, and I'm doing this because in our culture, we, we so identify with what we do that it is how we describe who we are. Um, and that needs to be decoupled if we're going to be faithful to the word. So your job, uh, let's see here. I think I've got on your, your outline. I'm not sure what all's on. Yeah, here we go. First, uh, sort of fill in the blank on your outline. Your job, your occupation or your business, whatever it may be, is a part of your work. Your job is a part of your work, but not the sum total of it. Your job is a part of your work, but not the sum total of it. I don't remember if I mentioned it here or not. I'm more forgetful today than I used to be. But I've heard it said I liked the, the notion when the pilgrims sailed over here to America, to the new land, <clears throat> so much to do. Um, they landed and immediately there were zero jobs, but there was a ton of work, plenty to do. <clears throat> um, so, all right, work occurs everywhere. Housework, schoolwork, church work, community work, public service, volunteer work, all those things are part of work. Whether you're a caregiver or an income earner, both are work. Are there any stay-at-home parents in the room? My wife's one. Do you guys work? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a if ever I have to stand in for Casey for an hour or two hours, <clears throat> and I have to generally repent before I walk into the worship service the next week because it's so frustrating, it's so overwhelming. I don't know how she's able to <clears throat> to do what she does with with our beautiful angel girls. In case you ever hear this, um, <clears throat> but um, yes, it's very much work. Um, and one type of work, next line there, is not more important or lofty than another. One type of work is not more important or lofty than the other. We already kind of talked about that in a previous week on sort of the sacred-secular divide because throughout the years of history, people have thought, well, if you're doing work for the Lord, that's more special, but really all work is for the Lord if it's done unto him uh, in faith. And so there's not one type of work that's more lofty than another. Uh, if you don't clean up the house or the stores or the streets, then people literally die after a while. Um, if you don't feed hungry mouths, people literally die through starvation and malnourishment, disease through the other. If you don't change diapers, believe it or not, on babies or even the bedridden, People will literally die from infection and sepsis and sores and all those things. <clears throat> what we, you know, the world might think of as menial work is in fact vital unto life. And we often think of repetitive work as menial work. Um, but have you ever thought about the type of work that God does? Sometimes God's work is this flashbang of creation in the beginning. Six days and boom, here it is. He's not, he's not doing that again today. Um, but, but he does work day by day. Every single day, he causes the sun to come up and the sun to go down over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. 6,000 whatever years so far and counting. That's the way I take it. Um, and, um, and that's not demeaning to him. 
you know, repetitive work is, is godly work, just as much as the creative flashbangs are, are reflective of him too. Um, sort of this, the next little thought here is, um, in our work, there is a division of labor. Division of labor. A few examples worth looking at um, from the beginning here. Adam and Eve. Adam was given a mission and a helper in that mission. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. A few verses later, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. It was a division of labor. Common goal, common mission, but they um, were going to do different things. If Adam could have done it all himself, he wouldn't have needed the helper. But he was inadequate in certain ways because he had a certain set of gifts and a certain set of skills and a certain nature that God designed in him. And he needed to be complemented by Eve so that they could together then do what it was that God had called them to do. Uh, Adam's sons and grandsons. <clears throat> We've got city builders, hunters, farmers, metal workers, and so forth. So um, Genesis 4, 2. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Um, on down in Genesis 4, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called it the name of the city after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered uh, Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methusael, and Methusael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain, and he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. You can see um, from the very beginning, there are people that have different gifts and different skills and are called to do different types of things. Uh, but then we can also see this not just across families or clans or you know different people, but even in the same person. Callings, um, you know, you're called to do different things. You wear multiple hats, even today, <clears throat> but also over time by seasons of life. So you can do some you know reflection on Noah <clears throat> across hundreds of years. What he lived 950 years, something like that. Um, he was, I don't know what all he did for the first 500. I'm assuming he helped his brothers do some stuff. Um, he walked with God, it says. But uh, he, uh, he was a boatwright. You know, he built a ship. He was a navigator. He was a zookeeper. Um, he wound up planting a vineyard. He was a gardener. Did all kinds of things in different seasons as the need arose. Um, Genesis 5, 28 through 32 When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. He called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands, uh, pointing to Christ. Uh, Noah himself didn't uh, totally do that. He did a little bit because he, by God, used him to kill off all those people that were apparently so wicked that if you think thorns and thistles are tough to work, against. Imagine people trying to steal everything you have and rape and pillage and all those things. Like, So <clears throat> as God kind of did a little bit of a reset on unrighteousness, um, certainly there was a... Imagine if he did that, you know, let's all paint our doors with bloody hyssop branches or whatever tonight and just see if 
you know, if things pass over and the riots stop, and what would that look like? I don't know. Um, but it must have been better post, you know, immediately post-flood than before. Um, so Lamech lived, after he fathered Noah, 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. <clears throat> 500-year-old um, dad. Um, we learn in 1 Peter 3 how Noah's ark is a type of baptism. It's a point, so that, that, that verse about how the, out of the ground the Lord is cursed, this one shall bring us relief. <clears throat> the, the ark was a type of baptism that pointed into the baptism we have in Christ and salvation through his death and resurrection by faith. Um, so that's sort of what that means, just as an aside. But we learn on down in Genesis 8 that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal after they after it dried up. Um, and... Um, Every clean bird and offered burnt offerings. So he, he was a priest. You know, he facilitated worship among the eight people who were alive on the earth that day. Um, God even repeated the dominion mandate to him in Genesis nine one. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." So even though in the in the garden pre sin pre fall, God gave the dominion mandate. Sin happened. That's terrible. <clears throat> It got really bad, so bad that God wiped out almost all of the human race. <clears throat> but we know that that was still his desire because at the reset point, he gives that again. All right, now go take dominion. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Do your work that I called you to do. And then we know in Genesis uh, 9.20 downstream, Noah began uh, to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. So apparently that was something he hadn't done before. But obviously they had to figure out how to eat um, afterwards in the garden there was no toil that had to happen. The fruit was just there. They just picked it up and you know, eat it. But they had to work the ground um, afterwards. So what's the point? Uh, everyone has a part to play in God's grand design. That's the point. And this might be the part on your... Yep. It's not so much, it's not so much what we do as it is why and how we do it. So the next point in your little handout there is it's not so much what we do as it is why and how we do it. We're going to get to sort of the process of discerning God's will for you as an individual down in chapter in Lesson 8 and 9. Uh, but right now we're still looking at it more broadly. So we kind of looked in Lesson 1, why of calling. Lesson 2 was how through means. Last week was what, sort of at a categorical level. We're going to talk about where callings lived out these weeks. We'll look at what in the particular level on 8 and 9, and then the when of calling, sort of the immediacy. Uh, the very last week, we're going to look at productivity and how to be efficient in what we're doing once we know what we're supposed to do. But one quick example to back up this statement. Um, it's not so much what we do as why and how we do it. The example that always comes up, uh, I used to be a youth pastor, and uh, after a certain age, every, uh, generally every young boy um, and girls too, but I, I don't know. They hit them at different ages. Um, they're curious about, you know, who am I supposed to marry? Um, and uh, maybe the ladies are a little bit more mature and they kind of start thinking about marriage before the boys. I don't know. It, it ebbs and flows, depending on the group. But, um, but a question that I would always ask is, does God care more about who you marry or what kind of spouse you'll be when you do? And I don't mean to say that God doesn't care about anything. He's God. He can infinitely care about all things. 
But there is a priority there. Um, and, the, and the way I try to explain it is this. If there was a particular, let's say a particular woman <clears throat> in mind for every individual man, and only that one person was the unique possibility of God's you know, desire and design for marriage to occur, then God would need to be way more blatant in his, uh, you know, in, in, a way, in a rigid way that you couldn't mess up. Because let's just say that Tom was supposed to marry Sally. Well, because we're cursed under the sun, sin happens, you know, we're ignorant or we're disobedient or whatever. He doesn't marry Sally, he marries Cindy. Well, Tom and from everyone after that is, has just ruined all of the human race. No one can please God in their marriage because Sally didn't end up with Tom. She ended up with someone else and he didn't get who he was supposed to be. And so it literally, one person breaks the whole chain. It's illogical, it's not how God works. So it's not particularly who you marry, even though God certainly does guide that and he gives you all these parameters. But when you're trying to discover God's will for you and what it is that you're called to do and how you're supposed to work, what you're supposed to do, be 10x concerned with how you're going to do that, how you're going to do your work rather than what particular work you're, you're going to do. Um, because what particular work you do is going to change. God's going to use you for different things at different times. Um, Kuiper would say, if you see something, you're probably called to it. And if you know anything about his life, he did everything from pastor to start schools to run newspapers to being the prime minister of the Netherlands um, in this one short life. So things can change. All right, but God does care, and with great fervor, how, um, how we behave in our callings. And you can think about that in terms of, you know, he calls us to be holy. Think about Lot's wife. All right, run to the city. Okay, don't look back. Boom, dead. Uzzah, he somehow thought that his hands were cleaner than the dirt, and he reached out to touch the ark and dead. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, they just told a little white lie. You know, in the New Testament church. Here, I sold it for 100 grand. I, I've given you 90. I said, oh, this is everything. I'm so good. And they kept a little back for themselves. Pillars of salt. So God cares very much how we operate, how we do what we do. <clears throat> All right. So back to our concern about actions. Here we go. Here's our framework. Um, the framework is this. I tried to come up with uh, like a mnemonic device. Utter fail. So um, there's some funny, I mean, there's some okay ones. <laughs> um, maybe I'll give them to you then. So, but the first, uh, the first question in the frame, I'll just run through all five of them real quick. By what standard, by what standard, to what end, goal or purpose, <clears throat> at what cost, through what means, And from what motive? By what standard? To what end? At what cost? Through what means? And from what motive? I don't know of anything that fits outside of those five questions when I'm making a decision. I hadn't come up with it yet. Maybe, maybe there is. You can tell me. But, um, but I'm going to run through in the 16 minutes or so that we have and... Um, this is going to be a hodgepodge. It's kind of over, you know, all over the map. So make notes that are of particular, like, interest to you maybe, but uh, there's not a lot of room there on your sheet. Um, but you can have, have mine after. Uh, go to the site and you can get them. 
So let me just kind of um, popcorn go around some, some thoughts here. Number one, by what standard? What should come to mind immediately when we say that as Christians? What's the only rule of faith and practice? The scriptures contained in the Old and New Testament, right? That's our catechism. So <clears throat> scripture is our only authoritative standard for all that we do, for what we believe and what we do. Um, so your homework for tonight and for the rest of the week is to get a concordance or go to BibleGateway or something.com and type in work and just start reading. Type in labor, start reading, whatever translation you do. Um, and, and get a feel for what the Bible tells you about work. You, you can go in infinite rabbit trails. You will not come up short. It's all good. So, <clears throat> so that's the first thing I would say. Um, some things that we know about work. Uh, it's good. God works. Uh, Christ's food and drink, he says, is to do God's will. In John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Work is a good thing. Before and after the fall. Tainted by it, sure, our sin's terrible, everything's messed up because of it, but we got a Redeemer who's going to fix it one day. Um, six days shalt thou labor and one day rest. There's a cadence to our work. Uh, we, I don't know, I don't know. Um, in one sense, we are probably, we probably, some of us work too much. Some of us have identity struggles with our work and we, you know, we make an idol out of it. Maybe we'll talk about that. Um, and so we probably overwork. And then there are some of us who kind of ignore that six days shout out labor part. You know, maybe I'll do it five, maybe four, maybe, eh. You know, when you think about it, it's not just your job, you know. Um, I had a, uh, there was a season of life where I, um, I was in between jobs. I had left one kind of career and was moving to, to a very different, um, like one, one, of, one of high structure into one sort of more entrepreneurial. And I was going to give myself sort of a season of, I, I, my, the ditch I tend to fall in is workaholism. So I uh, was giving myself some time to step back. And I remember, you know, if, if I were going to take a nap, let's say, on a Saturday, no problem. Felt great, proud of myself, no guilt, no shame. But if it was a Thursday, I didn't have anything I needed to do. You know, I had some money in the bank. I had no, I had no kids, no wife, no obligations. Um, perfectly okay for this defined season to take a little respite. I felt so gross <laughs> if I took a Thursday nap at, at one in the afternoon because that's when you're supposed to be working. You know, we have these, these the world meshes in on us and ingrains in us these different uh, norms and standards and mores or whatever, and, and they can be helpful. Don't get me wrong. I'm a conservative. I like to conserve the traditions um, to the degree that they're good, but um, but we do need to ask ourselves why. You know, by what standard it's scripture, not not the world. So, um, but six days thou shalt labor, one day rest. You can read that in Exodus. Uh, work with all diligence, not lazy, not a sluggard. Proverbs fourteen twenty three says, "In all labor there is profit, but mere talk." leads only to poverty. It also says in Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. 
in a good way. Um, Deuteronomy 6.17, you should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. How are we supposed even even the first, you remember when the giving of the law, second giving of the law in, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, 6, yeah, 4 through 6, the Shema, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, let me teach you all the things that I'm commanding you to do. The first point of application, the first work that, that people are called to do right after that is, do you remember what it is? Anybody? It's, it's to parents. What are parents told to do? As soon as Moses laid out the law, he said, okay, now teach these truths diligently to your children as they get up and as they go down, as they go to and fro, huddle and go close to your house on the gates, all those things, um, to, to work at it diligently, even in your, even your labor of teaching your kids, which is labor. Um, repetition, you know. Um, remember that whole thing. God is he's not ashamed to do repetitive stuff when you have to tell your kids, stop that for the third time in a, you know, in a minute. Okay. Um, work diligently. Work as unto the Lord. Um, Colossians 3.23-24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ in your work. Um, Jesus said at one point, he gave a parable in uh, Matthew 25, 31-40. Read the whole thing. I'll just do verse 40 here. He's talking about the final judgment, and he says how... <clears throat> Hey, you clothe some. He'll say, "Thank you so much for clothing me and feeding me and all these things." And they'll, we didn't. When did we do that to you, Lord? And the king will answer them, "Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it unto me." So, in everything that we do, we're doing it unto the Lord. And Jesus says, "That's not like pretend. You're actually doing that." Why would that be the case? Because God loves His people through His people, and when Jeff prays. That, his, that God would give him his daily bread in obedience to Christ, and, and I make the bread and give it to him, I'm the hands of God giving that to him, and therefore I'm obe- you know, giving that to the Lord. Um, and so do everything that you do as unto the Lord. <clears throat> There's something else. Um, let's see if we, we won't read, read it all, but um, in our work there is there's hierarchy. I mean, it just has to be, right? Someone's cracking the whip and someone's doing, you know, the labor or someone's giving, it's just uh, division of labor, the notion of manager, worker, notion of coach, player, the notion of whatever you want to look at it that way. There are, um, there are innate hierarchies in, in our work. When Noah came off the boat, um, his sons didn't know as much as he knew. He was 600 years old or however old he was. Um, he had more to tell them. And, and so there's an innate hierarchy. The student is not above the teacher, Jesus says. And so, <clears throat> but, you know, when, he, when his studies can finish, he'll, he'll, he'll be like him. So be careful who your teachers are. Um, it's not whether but which. We're all learning from something. But um, we see that reflected in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother as unto the Lord. First command with a promise that it'll go well with you. You have long life in the land. The Westminster Divines, when they wrote the uh, Confession of Faith and the Larger and Shorter Catechism, um, took that and 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 right, I think it's a right exegesis of 
What all is that telling us there? God's Ten Commandments, you know, <clears throat> is um, it's not just for household commands. It's not just in my relationship with my mom and dad. Okay, well, I, I'm supposed to obey them, but I don't have to obey my boss because it didn't say that in one of the Decalogue. No. Um, the Fifth Commandment is about hierarchy and structure and authorities and how we're supposed to um, respond to inferiors and superiors and equals. And so in the larger catechism, questions 123 through 133 go into that. Just a couple to examine my point, and um, you can't see it, all the little blue things. These, these are links to all the other uh, sort of you know, case, case passages that kind of proof text. Um, I recommend Westminster, I mean, get the book, you know, whatever, if you got one, but it's easy for me to click through on my phone or wherever I'm at. Westminsterstandards.org has all three, and, and you can just click through and see all the proof, and you can kind of do a little study while you're, <clears throat> whatever, while you're chilling, while you're waiting on stuff. Um, so question 123, what is, which is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land. He said that. Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? By father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as, by God's ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. I mean, look in, how much does Paul talk about my son Timothy? Right? So <clears throat> if Timothy dishonored Paul, he would be violating the fifth commandment. He's not his biological son, but he's in authority over him in that way. Why are superiors styled father and mother? Superiors are styled father and mother, both to teach them in all duties toward their inferiors, like natural parents, to express love and tenderness to them according to their several relations, and to, to work inferiors to a greater willingness and cheerfulness in performing their duties to their superiors as to their parents. So um, the, you know, if, I, if I want to convey the full weight of honor, which is the word used there to honor your father and mother, that would mean obviously not just the rigid hierarchy, but it would also mean the love and the relational admiration and the care, the devotion, the willingness to sacrifice for. And um, I don't have that you know, by nature with my boss, but I do have that by nature, by creative order with my parents and then with me, my kids, you know, and... And so that's the example that's given. Why is that? But, but in that, we're taught something. We're taught, you know, Jesus says, love your enemies. Maybe your boss, you think of him as an enemy. I don't know. But um, if we're, if, a fortiori, if this, how much more so the greater, if we're to love our enemies, those who are after us, how much more should we love those who are just in authority over us for our good? Because God puts all things in authority. That includes, sorry to say, magistrate over you. You know, um, you got to be careful, you know, um, obviously obey God, not man, if there's conflict. But, um, you know, the state does not yield the sword in vain. It's a deacon of God's wrath. In theory, when it's doing what it's supposed to do in accordance with his word. So um, anyway, I, we belabor that, but no, no need. Um, but that's also reflected in Ephesians 6, where Paul writes, um, about bond servants and masters. So if you, 
Your translation might say slaves, that's fine. Uh, think indentured servants, the chattel slavery that we think of is not the same as was here. People would uh, enslave themselves to get out of a debt or for a bunch of different reasons. Um, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Obey your earthly masters as you would Christ, with a sin- sincere heart, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, <clears throat> this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. Uh, we got to move a little quicker here, sorry. Um, and then lastly, you know, under by what standard? These are just some scriptures, there are more. Like I said, do, do your homework and you'll read for hours. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we read about a life pleasing to God, and we hear that we are to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands, as was instructed, so that you may walk properly before, properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So um, don't try to, um, you know, what was it that the uh, builders of the Tower of Babel tried to do? Why did they do it? To make a name for themselves. That's not what we're called to do. We're supposed to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as instructed so that you may walk properly before outsiders and, and be dependent on no one. Uh, I, th- I think it was 2010, maybe, where we broke the threshold that more than 50% of American citizens are in some way financially dependent on our government. And that was a decade ago. Um, <clears throat> Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Scripture is full of very practical advice on every sphere of life, everything that we're supposed to be doing. Uh, he who does not work shall not eat. Um, <clears throat> there's so much that we can learn from this, but if you abandon the standard, you see how things crumble. All right, so first, by what standard? I'll go quicker on these because we have a few minutes here. To what end? To glorify God, to seek the kingdom, you know, to live and work righteously like Christ the great worker. To what end? Um, uh, To serve others, to love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor in my work? My boss, my coworkers, uh, my clients, the families of each, shareholders, suppliers. I got a lot of neighbors in my work. My marriage is easier. My neighbor is Casey. Uh, but my work, I got a ton I've got to think about and try to love them and serve them. At what cost? <clears throat> Have you counted the cost? Jesus says that we should, Luke 14, right? Um, There's no greater love than to lay down your life, take up your cross, die to self. Um, You know, working in accordance with the word, by the standard of the word, will cost you worldly desires. You'll have to give up what you want sometimes. It'll cost physical comforts. It costs sleep. It costs recreation. It costs, I mean, toil is hard. Um, It costs mental energy. Focus is tough. You got to show up even when you don't feel like it. It costs time, time away from my family, my friends. Uh, and, my, and the fun that I would have. 
you know. Um, delayed gratification. We can't just eat the ripe fruit of the garden anymore. We have to grow it first and then harvest it and prepare it and all those things. So think through what are the costs um, involved. And in the context of general categorical work that we're talking about right now, under the Lordship of Christ in the Christian law, recognize that those costs, he, he's not ignorant of that. That's factored in. You know, God's going to provide for you, and he knows he's, when he calls you to work, he's saying, I want you to work by this standard, work to this end, pay these costs, be, be willing to give this up, <clears throat> because I mean, he's going to give back to us. Um, and then let me just hurry here. Uh, through what means are you going to lie to get your way? Um, <clears throat> means might be time, talent, and treasures. Okay, God provides all these to us ultimately, but we must steward what he provides. You got to control the clock and the calendar. You got to discipline your time. Uh, Stuart McAllister once said that hurry is a form of violence performed on time. And that hit. <laughs> um, I'm trying not to be violent on our time right now. Um, you got to grow your talents. Okay, so that means studying, learning, practicing, devoting yourself to your work. Say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play, you know, pro ball. Sure you are, son. Uh, well, what are you going to have to do? That's on the side of 50,000 hours of practice. You don't just walk, you know, there's a, there's a means to the end that we're, that we're pursuing. We have to <clears throat> grow our talents. We've got to spend our treasures wisely. We've got to take risks. Do not bury your talent in the sand. We have a shrewd master who will say, why didn't you at least, you know, give it to the lenders and you could have got a little interest on it. Why are you not willing to take a risk? If I am the Lord your God who has all authority in heaven and on earth, and if I have called you to a certain end that is good for my kingdom, and if I have promised you that with my authority I will be with you all the way to the end, why are you so risk-averse? Stop. Risk is right. Reasonable risk, godly risk, calculated risk. You know, plans with many advisors succeed, those that go at it alone hastily fail, blah, blah, blah. But be willing to take risk, invest, Get a return. All right, so by what standard, to what end, at what cost, through what means, from what motive? Um, you, the little acronym, you know, you, t- you teach kids joy, Jesus, others, you, right? So um, love, love of God should be a motive. We want to honor him. Love of neighbor to serve them. Love of family to provide for them. Um, we should talk about at some point, I'm not going to have time to hear, ambition. Ambition can be godly or it can be evil. Um, selfish vainglory, envy, not good. Uh, godly ambition. You know, there's a, a desire to acquire good things for good ends is a holy ambition. <clears throat> um, but you got to uh, caution you here. Ugh, okay. Um, don't kid yourself on this one. Uh, you'll hear people say things like, I want this $1 million home for others because I want to be hospitable. I want to host Bible studies. Um, you can do that for a third of the cost, you know, and put the money better elsewhere. Um, idolatry, we talk about workaholism. Um, here's this. If the thing you love most is not Jesus Christ, how do you know if you're in idolatry? If the thing you love most is not Jesus Christ, you'll, you'll probably only pray to him when that thing is in trouble. So think about what it is that you go to the Lord for. Um, idolatry is also, what, what's the phrase? Um, anything that you would um, sin to get or sin if you don't. Anything you're willing to sin in order to get or anything that you're going to sin if you don't get. If you don't get what you want, I'm going to do bad. All right, lastly here, let me just sum up. Um, y'all can leave as, as you need. Um, if you can't see clearly how, how Christ can be glorified in what you're doing, then you're not doing it right. 
If you cannot see clearly how Christ can be glorified in what you're doing, you're not doing it right. You're, doing, you're not doing it faithfully. In everything that you do, do it for the glory of God. Your chief end, your prime purpose in life is to glorify God in all that you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. So, last sentence. Spend time and effort in prayer with the Bible in hand and intentionally think about what you spend your time doing and how and why you go about doing it. If and as you find things in there which don't match up to the standard of Christ, then lay them before his throne and ask him to replace them with what is good and honorable and lovely in his sight. God, please help us as we go to worship you with spirit and truth. In Christ's name, amen.